0: Hey, uh, if we haven't said it enough tonight, welcome to Lutheran Church of Hope. We are so glad that you're here, and we don't just throw those words, it's no accident that you're here tonight. We don't just throw those words around flippantly. We believe absolutely that God is doing some pretty incredible things in people's lives. He's turning stories around. He's wrecking people's worlds in the best possible way, uh, because sometimes He comes into our life and He breaks us down, uh, our self-dependency, and He helps us understand that He is the one that can help us hold this life together and really everything begins to make sense when we look at life through this lens of His. Uh, what you just saw there, right, was a movie trailer, and it's for a, a movie called *The Case for Christ*. Now, it's out of a book uh, that came out, I believe, in 1998. I'm doing the math, and I feel like that was a long time ago, right? I feel like the 90s were just yesterday, but uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, and so, this book has been around for a long time. And I just listened to an interview with uh, the, the story, the, the main featured character in the story, Lee Strobel, uh, and this just this last week. And he was talking about he just one day out of the blue, he got a call from a church that wanted to make a movie about his life. And, and you may think, well, geez, nobody's ever, no church's ever called me and wanted to make a movie out of my life. Well, this best-selling book that he's put together that's been uh, around for all of these years tells the story of his journey. His journey uh, towards going from a skeptic, going from somebody who was, couldn't be much more against Jesus and his church and everything else that it stood for to becoming a believer. And it's interesting as you begin to watch it. I haven't got a chance to go see the movie yet. It's been out just for a week and a half or so. Uh, but I watched all the clips, and I've looked, at, I've read the book, and got the sense of the arc of the story. And what's fascinating about his story is that his avenue, his into the church, came through his wife. And what's even more interesting to me is it happened through almost a tragedy at a restaurant. They're sitting in a restaurant one night, and their daughter, their sweet little girl, starts choking on a piece of steak or something at the dinner table. And the only person who knows what to do in that situation ends up being a Christian woman. And she comes forward and she, uh, and she does the Heimlich maneuver and, and makes everything okay again. And she, this family, right? Lee and his wife, they look at this woman and they say, we're so glad you're here. And she said, don't thank me, thank Jesus. We were going to go to another restaurant tonight, but we felt like the Holy Spirit was telling us this was the place to go. And in and, and this moment, this, this curiosity began to build in his wife. And she began to ask these questions. She began to have coffee with this woman. and Eventually, she ended up church, even began uh, to believe and became baptized. And all the while, Lee is watching this. And you have to keep in mind that he's been trained as a journalist. He's been trained as a lawyer. He knows how to investigate things. He knows how to figure out what's true and what's false, what's made up and what's, uh, what's real. And so he's going through this journey, and what sets out as this journey to be a, a way to, to prove to his wife once and for all that she's joined a cult, right? It's not something that's gonna benefit her. It's a cult. It's a, it's a religion that's a false religion that it it has no need for her in her life. What ends up becoming this journey to prove all those things wrong ends up capturing him and his life and his story. It's a powerful story. I want to encourage you, if you haven't ever picked up the book, to check it out, especially after what we're talking about tonight. But it's a powerful story in this. I I believe this movie is going to be an incredible resource. I think it's an incredible resource because not only that, it's an incredible reminder. It's a incredible reminder for you and I tonight that we live in a world that's asking this question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, maybe you haven't noticed, but I know that I have. It's interesting, every year around Easter time, right, if you start watching channels like CNN or the Discovery Channel or even the History Channel, you begin to find, and it happens other times a year as well, but around Easter, when people really begin to celebrate this, when they take stock of their Christian faith, and maybe even if they haven't been to church in a while to think about going, you can begin to see all these primetime specials are showing up on TV, right? Did, did, was Jesus married? Did Jesus have uh, a wife and kids, or did, did, he, did he rise from the dead? How do we know? all of these things. And all of those, for me, come back again and again and again to reminders that we're all asking this question at some point, all right? Even if we believe, even if we have orient our whole life around following Jesus and living our lives for Him, if we're honest tonight, right, if we're going to take off the mask, if we're just going to lay it all out there to wrestle with it, right, all of us wrestle with this question in our attempts to answer it, right? I mean, we, we can confidently believe, but that's why it requires, it requires faith. We wouldn't still be talking about this thousands of years later, this question, if it had been settled once for all, if God had wanted to reveal it and not have it require faith. There's a lot that's going on around this conversation, and so that's where we want to dive in tonight. That's where, as we kick off this new series tonight, this, this series going about all the questions, it's a series called You Asked For It, and guess what? You've asked for this. The next few weeks, all the things that we're going to be talking about in worship, they, they're coming ripped from the headlines of pastoral care at Lutheran Church of Hope. We, we have some great conversations around here, whether it's in the Alpha class, whether it's in life groups, or whether it's people coming to church office just wanting to talk to somebody. Right? All of us have these questions. And, and I know some of us might be sitting here tonight and saying, okay, really, do we have to talk about, did Jesus rise from the dead? Didn't we just talk about that last week? Well, there's a couple of reasons why we're digging into this tonight. And I think they're worth mentioning because it's really easy for us as Christians to get just a little bit too comfortable with this story. This story that this guy thousands of years ago who claimed to be God was raised from the dead. Questions are always good. That's the first thing I want to tell us tonight. And that's the first reason why we're going through this, this sermon series. Questions are good. They're like a gift that keeps on giving, right? They, they knock our thinking loose. They, they lead us to discover new things. Nobody gets bored when you're asking big and tough and even risky questions. That's part of why we want to do this. The other thing that we want to get across in this series, especially tonight, every once in a while you'll, you'll encounter a Christian community or maybe just a Christian friend or two, right? And they won't give any daylight to the fact that sometimes they wonder. When others of us, Jesus, even Jesus' own disciples, at times, they had their doubts, right, Thomas? He needed to see. He needed help believing. And that's one of the other things we want to let you guys, we want to, we want to unpack tonight. Is this this idea that doubts are okay. Even Jesus' disciples wrestled with doubts from time to time. But I think most importantly, we want to wrestle with this question tonight about Jesus rising from the dead, because there could be no more important question for us as followers of Jesus Christ, right? Resurrection of Christ, it's not just a story that's in the Bible. It's the story. It's the story of all stories, because everything that Jesus did, you heard it in the movie clip, if the resurrection gets pulled out of there, right, it's like a house of cards. Everything begins to collapse on itself. Jesus made this incredible claim. He made a number of incredible claims in his life. And unless this resurrection happened, pff, goodbye to his credibility. Right? Jesus said things like authority. He had the authority to forgive sins. He said things like he had always existed, like, like he would return at the end of time. But then he also made this other claim, this claim that's, that's very measurable, whether or not it actually happened. And it comes to us in John chapter 2. This happens when Jesus and his disciples, they made their way back to Jerusalem. They're headed towards the cross and Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he makes his way into the temple where all the, the, the ministry is happening of the ministry of the day, right? People are offering sacrifices, they're gathering together for worship and he goes in there and he flips over the tables. I mean, one of the translations, one of the gospel writers talks about Jesus making a whip, right, just a side note, is your vision of Jesus Christ, your relationship with him, are you in a relationship with the kind of guy who makes a whip to drive animals out of the temple when they're not being used for the way that God wants them to be used, right? He flips over tables, he causes a riot. And the temple leaders are furious. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, why are you doing this? By whose authority are you doing this? And he picks it up in chapter 2, verse 18. They demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, they said, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Verse 19, all right, Jesus replies. Then he drops these words on the screen and let's read these together tonight. Jesus says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He didn't just say, oh, maybe someday I'll raise from the dead. He didn't say someday, maybe I'll come back. No, he said in three days, in three days, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to be back. Now, at the time, they heard temple right? And they thought that he was talking about the the building. In verse 20, what? They exclaimed, right? It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. They're freaking out at this point. And you can rebuild it in three days. And I love this, right? They They have to explain it. John has to explain it to us. Verse 21, but then when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. But this happened again and again and again in Jesus' ministry, right? His disciples aren't even quite sure what's going on, but they've watched Jesus come in. And already from his very, I mean, this is one of the first places he goes in Jerusalem. There's something different about this guy, and he's on a mission, it seems, to turn this whole world upside down in the best possible way. And all of this time, these disciples and everybody else who's encountered him to this point, they're left asking this question. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth that's shown up, right? And John shares the results They've asked this question, who is this man? Well, later on, and this is what it says in verse 22, it says, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, right? He's, he's giving them clues now that are gonna help them answer this question, who is this man? But they're not really gonna sink in till later, till the story comes through. But we find out it confirmed it for them. And so that's why this resurrection is important because he's made these claims. And if he comes through on this, then he's got credit for everything else that he said. But many still struggle today to answer this question as well, right? Who is this man? Was he God? Was he just a good person? Was he a teacher? I love what C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, you can think whatever you want about Jesus, right? But one of the things you cannot think about Jesus if unless you're somebody that's reading a different story, you cannot look at Jesus and say that he was just a nice guy. Right? What did we celebrate last Friday? We celebrated Jesus being crucified on a cross. Jesus not dying quietly, brutally tortured. Why? Not because he was a nice guy, but he was a revolutionary. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He writes, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be, one, a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, Lewis says. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him like a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. Again, when Jesus... His life is put in front of C.S. Lewis when C.S. Lewis looks at all the evidence, this journey, the same journey that Lee Strobel, the, the character of that movie, The Case for Christ, was on. When he looks at all the evidence, he believes that Jesus is one of three things. He was either a lunatic, he was either a liar, or he was Lord. And we can debate which of these three that he was, but I think everybody can agree on his impact we're still talking about Jesus thousands of years later because something happened at the end of his earthly life. There was something that took place that changed the game and changed the story and not only that, it changed a society. This question could not be more important for you and I as followers of Jesus, right? It's the ultimate question. What, what happened to Jesus' body? Who is this man? What is it that he's after? And we must address this because it changes everything. It's the difference between him being a savior and a teacher. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between hope and despair for all of us. And it's this hope and this despair that we're torn between as we wrestle with this question. And this is an important question. That's why Paul's so desperate to let us grasp this as he writes the reading that we just heard tonight from 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If there was no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. All of this is useless, Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and we apostles have been lying about God. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you're still guilty of your sins, Paul says. Paul says, And all those who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then he says we are to be more pitied than anybody in the world. Paul makes his case and then he puts his cards on the table. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For him, it happened. He believes it. He's the first of a great harvest of all who died. So I'll put this question to you tonight. If, if I were to come to you and let's say we're having coffee together and I have questions about the faith and, and I say, how is it you can possibly believe that this man was raised from the dead? Where do you go? What do you say? How would you even begin to answer that? Paul is clear about this and he'll lay out his case. Jesus, through the gospel writers, has done this as well. We just have to look for it, I believe. But did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's the question that we still to this day are wrestle with. Most can agree that he lived and he died. But can we believe? And how can we believe that he died and then also lived? 1 Peter 3.15 Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it, Peter says. Right? Have an answer. So when the history channels or the the skeptics of the world come to us, even when our own doubts creep in, we can have an understanding of the evidence. So we can get everything out on the table in front of us to make our decision and to make it well. For Paul, this happened. It's real. But not everybody agrees. And so what I want to do tonight is just walk through just a couple of ideas, some evidence that we have in front of us that really lays this out. And because not everybody agrees on this shocker, right? Surprise, this, this world disagrees when it comes to Jesus. Everybody can agree on his impact. We're still talking about him thousands of years later. And nearly everybody, scholars, nearly all scholars can agree even on these four uh, ideas when it comes to Jesus. Number one, Jesus was crucified and was buried in a tomb. Rarely will you find a scholar. Maybe there's one of the books I read this week talked about the fact that there may be six scholars in the entire world that would still have the audacity to believe Jesus didn't live. He was a historical figure. There's no doubt about that. Nearly everybody agrees on that. Everybody, nearly everybody agrees also on this idea that three days later, at least when that was when the discovery was made, at least three days later, his body... Went missing. We can't find the body today. Everybody agrees on that. We have been unable to find the body of Christ. But not only that. There's two more things that nearly everybody can agree on. One is that over 500 people in the 40 days that followed this crucifixion and resurrection. 500 people reported Jesus appearing to them. In the flesh. Manifesting himself. Talking to them. They could touch. They could eat with. He even cooked Peter breakfast. Number four. It's undoubted when you look at church history that there's an incredible transformation that happened in the church, in, in his followers, in this movement that he had launched uh, right after this resurrection. Everybody can agree on these things that there's, there are parts of the story that everybody can agree on. The question is, how do you account for all this? How do you, how do you put the rest of it together? Because soon after the questions begin to fall, let's jump to the next slide. Right? There are questions that start to show up. Right? People will ask, and maybe you've asked some of these yourself. I know I have uh, in my faith uh, at different times. I've said, isn't this just a legend? Right? Isn't this just a story that somebody made up somewhere? Right? How is it exactly that we can trust these written documents from thousands of years old? How do we know that people uh, weren't making up uh, their witness testimony? How do you know that they just didn't just make up the idea that they saw Jesus? Is it possible that people have asked me this question? Is it possible that he didn't really die? How do we know that? Right? Is it possible that the body was stolen? Is it possible, even number six there on the list, right? Isn't it possible that these 500 people, they just, they wanted to believe it so badly, they had a massive hallucination, right? Paul talks about this 500 people at one time, and there are various dozens of other witness accounts as well. Within the 40 days following, Jesus has shown up to talk to people, right? These are some great questions, and these are questions that deserve to have an answer. And... What's comforting to me is, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is that there are, there are relatively credible answers for all this stuff. Is it conclusive? No. But there's every reason, I believe, to believe that this happened. That this Jesus that we just celebrated here with thousands of people in worship last weekend for Easter, that this story is true and this story has power. So what, what do those look like? I want to kind of give it, you three Uh, areas or three ideas to kind of wrap your head around this to go into detail and there's a lot to take in in this. I just for fun tonight, I saw Pastor Mike do this this weekend as well. These are the books that I read, the nice light reading that I took some time reading, the scholarly volumes to begin to look at this stuff, right? People have been wrestling with this question for thousands of years, and it, there's, it's, there's much that has been written about this. Perspectives on both sides, and they're going back and forth in the dialogues. Two great books to look at. If you're curious about going deeper into this, tonight, uh, page two on Wednesday night, we're going to dig deeper into this and look more specifically at some of these historical options. But there's a lot that goes into this. So what are these three reasons? The first one is this. The historical sources, the historical documents that we have, they are sound. They're as sound as anything else. The testimony that's been given, the things that have been written, the Bible itself is as historically as accurate as any other work that we have from ancient times, right? The text is, is as reliable as anything that we have today. And there was a common understanding in Jesus' day that something had happened, Acts chapter two, Peter preaches. He gets up and gives this incredible speech. In fact, it's one of the hallmarks of this transformation that's taken place. Peter goes from this, this bashful uh, person who's denied Christ all the way to a bold preacher and he says, we're all witnesses. This isn't just a rumor. Everybody understood. He, everybody there gave him no pushback when he talked about all of the people gathered were all witnesses to the fact that Jesus was there and he had been raised from the grave. But some people will come up and they'll say, well, you just quoted Acts. It's in the Bible, right? How how can we begin to understand that? Even the Gospels, people will say these Gospels, they were written too far removed from the time that Jesus lived, right? But the the truth is that they're, they're actually dated between 35 and 65 years. And you might say, especially in a world, right, where we get news on our phones, right, instantly as it happens, you might say 35 to 65 years, that's a long time to wait. But comparatively, it's not that long at all. Jesus shows up even in extra-biblical sources as soon as 80 years after his life. Let me give you a comparison to see what else is out there in this day and age in first century. Right, Augustus, the Roman Caesar, that uh, is believed to be the greatest Roman emperor of all time, only has eight sources out there that name him. Eight sources. Three sources only existed in his time, and none of them paints the entire picture of his life. In fact, we have basically a funeral program, and then we have some other uh, things from uh, his early childhood that talk about him. Those three do that. Only one of them describes him as adult, and that's the funeral thing. The fourth is dated between 50 and 100 years, but the remaining four, between 100 and 200 years. And what makes it even more convincing is when you begin to look at what the gospel writers included, what the Apostle Paul included in his writings that are between 35 and 60 years, scholars believe much of what's been included in there is, is, is part of the oral tradition. There were hymns that were included. There were creeds. There were statements. There were sayings that were incorporated in this. They believe, and even some scholars can date, within months of the crucifixion. So the window is actually very short compared to what many other scholarly works or ancient writings could be, uh, that would be compared with this. We also have more copies. Most most ancient works average somewhere around five to ten copies. When you go back to the the original manuscripts that we have of them today, I'm talking about like uh, books uh, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, right, Roman works, Greco-Roman works. Well, when it comes to the New Testament, we have over 5,400 copies, and we keep discovering them. The Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, confirm much of what we already believed about the text. Not only this, but Jesus shows up inside and outside of the Bible as a historical figure. Tiberius, the emperor, at the time of Jesus, was the same way. He showed up inside the Bible and outside the Bible, right? But what's interesting about both these guys, Jesus and the emperor that was contemporary with Jesus, you look both of them, each of them have nine different works that they show up in. They have the same amount. And those testimonies they believe to be accurate historically as well. So when you add the Christian resource to this list, though, you compare Jesus to this Roman emperor Tiberius, well, he only gets one more if you compare the Christian works. But Jesus jumps up to 42 different written works confirming that he existed and these claims that he has been risen from the dead, these eyewitness reports. There's many more things I could say about this. One of the things is this. We have no firsthand eyewitness accounts of Alexander the Great, another Roman conqueror, right? So one of the, things, the issues people have with the scriptures is were the eyewitnesses even there, but they, uh, it was removed from that, but so is everything else that we have, right? And not only that, the story from there, if, if we would believe, well, maybe somebody just made this up. These are the last people that anybody would have used to make this kind of a claim. The women who discover them in the tomb Women were seen as embarrassing to use as witnesses. They couldn't even make a testimony in any kind of a court. That's the culture that they lived in. So the idea that women are the first to discover, Jesus purposely tells you this story was not one, the kind of story that would be fabricated if you wanted it to be convincing. Romans couldn't stand dead people coming back to life, just like we aren't always big fans of zombie films. Some of us love zombie films, right? But Roman culture despised that. And yet, this is what we see happening again. There are psychologists that will tell you hallucinations don't happen in large groups. All of that to say, these written works that we have, they have credibility, they're sound. Reason number two, I think you can believe in the resurrection is this fact that we can't find Jesus' body anywhere. Some say, well, maybe he didn't die. But you saw it in the clip there that we started with tonight, this idea that the... uh, Roman crucifixion, there's nobody who survived that. In fact, the soldiers who tortured and beat and crucified Jesus, if they didn't do their jobs, they faced the death penalty. The soldiers who guarded the tomb, the same for them. If Jesus was not able to carry his cross, how is he possibly gonna be able to move a three to 4,000 pound boulder quietly while these Roman guards whose lives depend on this idea and them completing this task stand out front? And not only that, he was stabbed, and water and blood came out of him. This is proof, medical proof, that it's a pericardial effusion. And we have this in our medical terminology today, that asphyxiation has taken place, and that Jesus was fully dead on the cross. We know the disciples didn't steal him. They were locked in a room. John tells us this in John 19. They were running away. Luke 24, we have the road to Emmaus. They're going back to their lives before they knew Jesus. These are the last people who are going to try and hatch some kind of a plot. It's not a plausible plot. Some people believe the government tried to steal them. If that's the case, why didn't they show up and produce the body? There's so much more you could go on with this. But the third reason tonight why I believe the the resurrection is historically credible, we can believe that this has taken place, is simply looking at those who were there believed, and were transformed. If you look at church history, the the whippings and the beatings and the, the torture and all these things that the church went through for centuries, even being crucified just like Jesus, but inverse, upside down, then there's a belief that at some point, if it had been a lie, they would have given up. They would have folded. Somebody somewhere in these last thousands of years would have given up. So the question we have to ask ourselves tonight is not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but what does it mean? As big as it is, this question, the bigger question is what does it mean? It means for you and I that everything has changed. That this gospel is true. That you and I, we are not dead in our sins. That this Easter story that we spent our time celebrating last weekend, it's true and that there's power. And it means that you and I get to live as resurrection people that we now in christ we have nothing left to lose i love romans eight eleven. It talks about the fact that the spirit of god who raised christ jesus from the dead also lives in us when life seems to be at its worst that's when god is at his best he's come through for us but this idea of believing this resurrection it doesn't mean even if we have proof through scholars and writings and history and all this stuff, it doesn't mean that this resurrection life is all easy. Sometimes we need reminders. So you and I are resurrection people. They haven't, after all of these years, they haven't been able to find Jesus' body. And not only that, there's convincing evidence when you dig into all of this, that this story is true, that there's power, that there's life after death. That there is a new king on the throne and his name is Jesus. He's the one in charge of everything. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, again, as he closes up the chapter. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. He says, we will not die, but we will all be transformed It'll happen in a moment at the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. And then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. And this is reason for you and I to celebrate tonight. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And Paul goes on to write, for sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, Paul says that he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how he closes this powerful chapter. He says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord and know this, that nothing you do for the Lord is ever in vain.